I pulled myself away from Justin Verlander is blanking the Yankees, which is very important to Mets fans on two levels. Do you follow this? Do you care? Are you still, still with the Red Sox? No, yeah, I'm still Red Sox. Okay. Well, they stink, so good luck yeah. with that. But um, I'm, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that you came here to do this. And I know you are a believer that podcasts are like going to be the, the medium that uh, television was for your uncle, President Kennedy, radio for FDR, right? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that... Um, there, it's kind of, there's kind of a battle now between legacy media and all of these kind of new sources of content and information and that, you know, this campaign is uh, kind of Armageddon potentially for the legacy media. And, I, you know, I'm in my own uh, world, the legacy media is is just fiercely, ferociously opposed to my candidacy, and oh. every you know, I, I every brought in the quotes. Is a nightmare. <laughs> but somehow there was an article that came out today, a poll that came out today in Forbes, that showed that I my uh, favorability ratings are better by far than any of the other candidates, and um, and I'm not, you know bragging about that, but it's just curious because well, uh, all, all of that. I hate to interrupt you, but if you're running for president, you should brag. That's okay. what, that's what that people lose elections sometimes because they're too modest. You know who is not very modest? Donald Trump. Yeah, that's a good point. It kind of works for him. I mean, not to and that extent. Self-promotion works. Democrats are very often, t I mean, the people are very often with them more on the issues, the voters, and yet the voters don't vote for them. Like, because I feel like they're not real, they don't make the connection, oh, you did this for me. Like, I'm alive because I have this health care or this poverty program that didn't exist before Medicare, Social Security, whatever. I think, I think when LBJ took office, like, the senior poverty rate was something like 35% and we, we took it down to nine. You know, those are like real things, but they don't, I don't think they touted it. They, they don't get the message. There are people, they always say, we didn't get our message out. Well, I think that's part of it. You didn't connect what, why this person has this benefit to a, we did that. You, you think, you don't think that's true? Oh, I do think, I mean, I don't know if it has to do with promotion, but I think, a lot of time, I think most of the people who got the advantage of that uh, probably were not thinking, uh, saying thank you to LBJ every night. No. <laughs> well, I know, I know you hated him, right? No, I didn't hate him. I, you know, I, he was actually very kind to me. He was. Yeah, I mean, the one night that I had this very um, sort of frightening, I suppose. Uh, a confrontation with him at my we went to uh, we when when my father when after um, my uncle was killed lbj was very jealous of my father and so and but my father remained friends with a lot of people who were in the administration like bob mcnamara and many many others uh, dick goodwin and all of the new frontiers people were in the administration my father would have them come to hyannisport for the weekend and when they were there, LBJ would always call them. 
and he would call them to let them know that he knew that he, they were at my house, which he considered, you know, an act of disloyalty. But <laughs> one night we went over, my mom and I, and, you know, my two elder siblings, and I think a couple of my younger ones went over to McNamara's. And McNamara was the Secretary of Defense yeah. or President Kennedy, and then he stayed on with Johnson. Former head of GM, wasn't he? And Ford. Ford. Yeah. And he, uh, and we, my father was very close, and my father would call him every night and tell him, you got to, you know, publicly condemn the Vietnam War. And McNamara would say, if I leave here, you know, he'll drop an, an atom bomb, and I got to right. stay here and stop him from doing that. Similar to Colin Powell, yeah. who said, I stayed in the Bush administration because without me, there wasn't going to be an adult in the room. Same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and it may be valid. But anyway, my father talked to him every night. The last thing he did before he went to bed, he always called McNamara and told him, you gotta come, you gotta go public and you gotta, we gotta get out of Vietnam. One night we went over, but he remained very close to McNamara. And one night we went over to McNamara's for dinner and, um, we, uh, and in the middle of dinner, Johnson came in unannounced. So as the president of the United States, you know, walks into the house, and he was a very, very big man. He had a huge head, and that's what I remember. And we were all rushed out of the house. The kids were... Shrek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Comes in. And uh, my father... But when I... I got injured when I was a kid, I got... Um, I got up 147 stitches in my leg. I, I sliced up. I sliced up two of my toes, and and Johnson wrote me when I was in the hospital. Johnson wrote me a series of, of very, very kind of kind, sweet, very corny wow. personal letters. Really? Yeah. How old were you? I was uh, like 11, 12. What did you do? My brother was chasing me on a roof. And I jumped to another roof um, and didn't make it. I okay, I, I, I got to say, this this um, gene in the Kennedy family for doing, like, really reckless things, <laughs> I feel like this is something the public needs to be assured about. Because, really, a lot. I mean, there's been a, you know, a lot of loss that is, is noble loss, the assassinations, of course. But then there's just been a lot of reckless behavior. And to, uh, that hap that hurt other people, and hurt, you know. Didn't you have a a, a skiing death? My brother died in a ski accident. <clears throat> Playing ski football or something. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and John Jr. should not have been flying that plane. I feel like you're making. I'll tell you one thing about Johnson, though, <laughs> which is that. You know, everybody knows about the conflict between my father and Johnson that started very early because my father did not want Johnson to be vice president. He didn't like him, and he didn't trust him. That I remember. Right, and when my uncle decided it was going to be Johnson, he sent my father up to tell him, which was excruciating for my father. My father never liked him, and then Jack did not pay a lot of attention to him as vice president, which hurt his feelings. And meanwhile, my father was kind of in charge of everything. 
So they had this antagonistic relationship. And then when Jack was killed, Johnson saw my father as his principal rival. And then when he, you know, they had a, when Johnson was nominated in Atlantic City in 1964, so Johnson, you know, took over in November of 63 when my uncle was killed. Then he was president for a little over a year. He had to run again, and he went, and the the Democratic nomination was in 64. And my father showed up at that, went to the convention very reluctantly because he was still shattered. It was one of his first public appearances, and he and they played a um, a video of about my uncle Jack, and at the end of the video, uh, there was a um, there was a line from Shakespeare that said, you know, and when he dies, something to the extent when he dies, cut him in little bits and throw him in the, in the to the stars. And, I remember your father saying that. Yeah, and he said that, and he shall make the garish moon, you know, uh, jealous of, right. of the, you know, yeah. of the not of the darkness. And um, Johnson took that personally. He thought that. It was an allusion to him being the garish moon because oh, he was going to recruit Jackson. He took that as a slight, and then he saw my father for the next four years' arrival, and then you know ultimately my father did run. But during that period when they had this rivalry, um, my father, particularly in the early days uh, after my uncle Jack's death, was absolutely shattered, and he was almost. Um, he was disconsolate, uh, 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 and he was uh, he was almost um, catatonic. You know, he was so shattered that he was he wa he wasn't going to work, and he would you know walk around and hikes all the time, and not really talk to anybody. And Johnson was worried about him, and sent him on two foreign missions. One of those missions was to Indonesia. Indonesia was about to go to war. Sukarno, who was the liberator of Indonesia, who the CIA had tried to kill, was about to go to war with the Netherlands. And Johnson sent my father there to try to settle this dispute, which he did. He had been made friends earlier on with Sukarno, and they had a good relationship. They ended up settling the dispute. and. And then he sent him on another tour to Asia. And there was such this, this profound outpouring of love for my father during that tour from people all over the world that it really um, made him feel like, you know, he had another role in life, like a later role. So, uh, so Johnson did that, and I've always, you know, remembered that about him, that he had that kind of that grain of compassion at that point. I mean, people are just so complex. Yeah. You know, the, the, the way they can share the best and worst of them, like inside the same minute. It's, yeah. And now, when Johnson took over, did he uh, keep your father on as attorney general? Yeah, my father stayed for a Til while when? and resigned. He stayed, he, for, he stayed until he was going to run for Senate. So he stayed right. on, but he didn't really go to work. And also... You know, half of his employees at the Justice Department were FBI agents who worked for Hoover. 
And he had a, he had a, a, a buzzer on his desk for Hoover, which nobody had ever done. He actually treated Hoover as his, J. Edgar Hoover as his employee. And no other attorney general had ever dared to do that. Yeah. And I went up, to, yeah. you know, me and my brothers would go up there and push the button and, you know, Hoover would have to come up and he would be very, very pissed off. <laughs> and um, I was in Hoover. But that wasn't a smart thing to do, was no. it? No. I mean, when we were kids, well, one no, time. No, I mean, to, no, to, to humiliate Hoover. He wasn't humiliating he was, him. He was trying to bring him to under, under control because he was, you know, right. he was a, he had become a power to of himself. Course. And he was, my father was, you need to report to the attorney general. I'm your, you know, your putative boss, and I am your actual boss. So the second, and as soon as Jack was killed, it was, it was J. Edgar Hoover who called my father and, um, and told him that his brother had been shot. And then, you know, an hour later, he called him and told him that his brother was dead. And my father told uh, a friend of his, he said the way the tone that he that he used when he told me that was the same tone that he would use, kind of a matter of fact tone that he would use if he had discovered a communist on the faculty of Emory University. You know that he would call him up for that. So it was like I, it was wow. a message. And then no, after no that, he never spoke to my father again. Wow. Oh, so even though my father continued to be his putative boss, he was now had a direct pipeline to the White House, which is how it had always worked. So Jack was the only president he could not call directly. Right. He had to go through my father, which he deeply resented. You know, and that's the good part of reckless. It also means brave. You know, I mean. Your uncle, who was president, you know, made the biggest political sacrifice I think any political party ever made. The South used to be called the Solid South, meaning yeah. the Solid Democratic South. But that's because the Democratic Party allowed them to be horrible racists. Jack Kennedy, one of the main reasons why a lot of the people, like my family, big Kennedy lovers, thought he was great was because he had the guts to say, Yes, we're going to probably lose this entire region of the country, but this one issue can't go on like this. It's been 100 years since the Civil War. We have to, like, start this process. And yeah, and, they, and then the South became pretty much the Republican South. I think it's still, yeah. you know, um, a solid South, but, only, but now solid Republican. That's yeah. the most massive trade-off I know of in American politics. Yeah. When they signed the Civil Rights Bill, Johnson said, well, we've lost the South for a generation. More than a generation. Yeah. But, um, so, oh, that's right. I brought you the, now, you must have this in your home. I don't know, must, but you probably do. This must have been in my home. But I found it a few weeks ago. I thought, oh, you're coming here. I have to give you this. If you, if you don't have it, you should have it. It's called, uh, we were... As oh, we as remember, Joe. How did you, you get that? Exactly. How did I get that? It's this book about your your uncle Joe, who yeah. was the first candidate to tragically die, kind of weirdly in the most normal way in, in a war, World War Two, and this is as we were. It was must have been in my house. Why is it rare? Yeah, it was a private printing. It's a private printing, right? It's all these. I'm trying to remember if you were ever in my house where you may have. That I stopped. <laughs> you think I purloined this? <laughs> I'm going to bat you down uh, next time. No, but like all these great people they have uh, tributes from, including John F. Kennedy and, um, oh, yeah, like everybody, 
and his brother, um, and yeah, and the family. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. So if you don't, you do you have it? Yeah, but I. You want well if you yeah, want I'll, another one. It, it means more to you. Since it's a private no. printing, maybe I shouldn't have ever had it to begin with. If um, anybody stole it, it was my father. It wasn't me. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 but I know it meant a lot to him because I took it with you know when I moved from the, the East camera? Coast. That's my uncle Joe. Oh yeah, he okay. was lieutenant in the uh, naval air force uh, out of England, and he, he flew forty-two missions. Wow, and which made him eligible uh, for discharge. And uh, and they asked him to, at that point, they were looking for people to volunteer for a um, super dangerous mission. And the mission was, they, it was the first remote, they had invented the first remote controlled aircraft. So it's an aircraft that you could steer remote control. Um, and they were gonna load the plane with bombs and then they were going to have the pilot would take off the plane because they needed it in the air, couldn't take off by remote control. My Uncle Joe was supposed to parachute out just before it, it crossed the English Channel. And when and there was a, a, a tracking plane that would uh, follow it, and it was supposed to fly into the submarine nests in uh, on the coast of the Netherlands. Mm. And it was uh, and it was a fully loaded bomb, and the uh, and the the follow plane turned on the remote control, um, and the minute they did that, the plane exploded and vaporized. Oh fuck! Uh, my my uh, my uncle's body was never found. But Twenty years later, my grandfather—if you mentioned his name, Joe's name—he was the oldest brother, and he was kind of the golden child. Uh, my grandfather would break into tears, and he never got over it. Um, and then his eldest daughter died two years later in another air crash. Um, yeah, I mean, the House of Atreus bad luck that your family has had is just, I mean, astounding. But I, I find it refreshing that you're willing to, like, make a bet that the... Very often, like where people think we are in history is lagging behind where we really are. And then events like elections or events, and people go, oh, fuck, we didn't think we were that bad, but we elected Trump. We are that bad. You know, or like the OJ trial when, when we saw that split screen of black people are crazy happy and white people are like, it's their own brother who was killed. It's like, oh, wow, we're nowhere still racially, you know, like that kind of stuff. And you're making a bet that we're at a different place now. I can run for president and sit here with this pot-smoking atheist on a podcast, and we can shoot the shit like real people. Because Trump especially, you gotta give him that, he sort of brought, brought it down to the vernacular level in a big way. This guy wasn't afraid to say pussy and motherfucker and shit and shithole. And, and America's like, yeah, we're just, we're just, we're kind of a slovenly country. We're not a formal people anymore. It's not 1960, you know? And I think you're right. You have to like look like the people who are voting for you and act like them. They had too many decades of reality television and now social media, everybody's everywhere. You, you can't like pretend that you're like something that's not them. You sit around, you drink, you say fuck, 
whatever, all these things. And it's like, they, they're not going to hold that against you. If anything, that's going to give you some cred. So I'd say you should smoke this, but that maybe it's going too far. That'd be 40 years of sobriety. No, and, and you said you didn't like it. Yeah, but I might, vote, that, for you, I but like I might vote for you anyway. But also, <laughs> but let like, me ask you something. Yeah. On the, you know, something happened to liberals, to our fellow liberals. Yes. Um, we're, and, we're on and, that it, page and whatever to, it was, yes. accelerated amplified during the pandemic. There's a lot we agree on. Yeah. And so but I, there's some things we don't. I, I mean, where I just want to know because. Look, if you're going to make this campaign happen, the, the one thing that they're never going to stop talking about uh, is vaccines. And, yeah. you know, you have to answer for Santino on the causeway. People are going to want, <laughs> want to know. And look, I, am, I have taken a lot of shit for being, you know, what a lot of people call an anti-vaxxer, which really is just a vaccine skeptic. But they like to move the goalposts and make you a worse somehow outlier, and no, I'm very much on the page, and people know this, of like, I was not on board with how we handled COVID. Uh, I, yeah, but what, I, was your, what, what was your evolution? When, when did you say, hey, A long time some... ago, I was, I was on 60 Minutes quoted me like in 20, 2009 or something, saying uh, I wouldn't get a flu shot. Not yeah, because I don't not, believe- I'm not talking about vaccines so much, oh. but just on what was happening in COVID. You know, with, well, the, with the lockdowns. First all of this. all, like, what one thing I don't understand about the COVID thing is how come? I mean, I'm sure you know about the Great Barrington letter that was signed yeah, by yeah. sixteen thousand doctors and scientists who were all dissenting about how we were handling it. How come your doctors only count? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the <laughs> Western medicine. How come your doctors? They're the ones. That's the science. And like, if it was one guy out there. But it's like a lot of accredited people. So like, I think that is one reason why you came out of the gate at 20%. Because there's just a lot more people in this country who are onto that kind of thing. And how much medic medical science, con conventional medicine, is wrong and gets things wrong, including about COVID. Lots of things they got wrong. And then where I think we are not on the same page is I don't believe all vaccines are bad. There are some vaccines I would want if I thought the pathogen was serious enough. Um, and what do you think I think? Well, let's get into that. Let's, <laughs> let's make you the candidate that can get past this issue because you're going to have to get past this issue if you're going to go anywhere. So I think your, your idea of connecting like the pharmaceutical industry, and that certainly had to do with how COVID was handled, with the bigger issue of corporate America having too much of a stranglehold on this country, that is a great issue. It's a little, um, you know, not obvious, so you're gonna have to explain it to people. You can handle that, I'm sure, but that's where I feel this should start, is like, you were, you were before this, you were a guy who was, so concerned and still are, of course, about the environment and did so much. And this is just a kind of a, a, another tributary to that river. This is sort of environmental vaccines. It's like, what is gonna keep me healthy? What's going in my body? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so I- And it, it was the same issue that, you know, it, it's an issue of corporate capture. It's an issue of uh, government agencies being subverted. 
and democracy being subverted and government agencies transformed into, through these mechanisms of corporate capture, into sock puppets for the industries they're supposed to regulate. So you're talking about the FDA? Well, yeah, before that it was the EPA that I was, I mean, I probably 20% of my environmental cases were against federal and state agencies who were doing sweetheart deals with the industries they were supposed to regulate. And that, you know, so it was easy for me when I started doing, when I got dragged kicking and screaming because I didn't want to do vaccines um, into the vaccine realm. It, uh, it was, it, you know, it was easy for me to understand what was happening because I'd seen it happening in, uh, you know, at EPA. That's an important but, point people shouldn't yeah, know. And I got, no, I got dragged in, unlike most people, most people are in this space or were in this space because their children suffered vaccine injuries, or, you know, let, let's put it neutrally, that they believed their children had suffered vaccine in, injuries, and I was just somebody who believed that well, you should listen to the women who were, you know... Uh, if, if I may, yeah. as the moderator, just for anyone listening who's the super skeptic type, um, vaccine injuries, are, that is a fact, that there are vaccine injuries. That's why there's a vaccine court, Vaccines are a medical intervention like so many other drugs, and we don't say they're bad because we know they have side effects, but we just have to admit, first of all, that they do have side effects. Hopefully not bad, hopefully not all. We can debate what they are, but let's start from, yes, vaccines, like any other drug, have side effects and serious side effects. And now let's have the debate about how how widespread is that? See, that's, oh. I think, someplace where we part. I think you think the vaccine injuries from COVID vaccines did more damage than I do. Well, here's, see, I don't have thoughts except I see the science. Oh, I, I'm a person who- Well, there's a lot of, you can read, you can read statistics many ways. Or, and you can cherry pick and leave things out, which is what they can, do. And that, you know, that's why you need to read science critically to make sure that's not being done, which is what I try to do. But they, in terms of the regular vaccine schedule, CDC had been telling people for many, many years that injuries were one in a million. CDC recognized, I mean, the reason the Vaccine Act was passed that gave immunity from liability to these companies is because uh, they said the vaccines could not be produced, that they were unavoidably unsafe. And that phrase is in the 1986 statute, and it's in the Supreme Court Brucewitz case, which upheld that statute. They said, okay, we're going to give them immunity from liability no matter how negligent they are, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how reckless the behavior, no matter how shoddy their, their uh, manufacturing and testing processes you can't sue them. And the reason we gave them that liability shield is because they were able to convince the Reagan White House that vaccines could not be made safe. They're gonna injure certain people. The question then is, are those rare injuries? And CDC says, yes, they were very rare, one in a million. But when CDC finally studied that question, in a study called uh, the Lazarus study, which was published in uh, Pediatrics, and I think it was Pediatrics in, in uh, 2010, and anybody can look this up. Um, th- what they found is that uh, the actual rate of injury was about, I think, 2.3%, which is one out of every 37 people. 
And so that had injury claims that they made claims to their insurance company. From what vaccine? From all vaccines. The average injury rate is one in 37. What is the range of that injury? I mean, is, is, if, if my arm is up be, for, for a day, does that it, count it, as part it, of it? It was injuries for which people made claims, medical claims. Right. And doesn't those, mean, right, certain, doesn't mean that those medical claims are valid. And when people have looked at this, what they've said is a lot of the people who make claims, they don't let you know that they have some pre-existing condition. So it could, well, yeah, but, but there's a, listen, um, 54% of Americans have chronic disease. Oh, yeah. So, you know, right. you're supposed to design the product for all the people, not well, just for the, not, not just for why, the Avengers. That's why, I, you, you know, know, where I am with you is I do not believe you can make me get a, a vaccine. You should not. Well, yeah, that, because, that's, because I, don't, I believe people should have a choice. That's I, all. I believe the vaccine, again, I don't think you do. I think the vaccine saved millions of lives because people who were not healthy, they needed the vaccine. I just didn't want you to force it on me because I don't feel like I need it. And I should be able to make that decision about how I handle my health, especially since, again, there are all these other thousands of doctors that have to count too, okay? Yeah, so I just would say this, and I'm not anti-vaccine, but I am pro-science. And when CDC actually, you know, CDC for many years has said uh, vaccines saved millions and millions of lives. But when they actually studied that issue and they did an intensive study on decades and decades of medical records, um, and that study is called the Geyer study, G-U-I-E-R, and they did it with Johns Hopkins in 2000. And they looked at what was the explanation for this this historic drop, 85% drop in mortalities from infectious disease between in the 20th century. It's, it's one of the great episodes of history in the United States and Western Europe. There was this tremendous drop in the diminution in the in fatalities from infectious disease. What caused that? Was it vaccines? Was it antibiotics? Was it surgeries? Was it something else? Why can't it be all of them? It was actually almost none of them. The explanation for it was nutrition and sanitation. It was chlorine. I bet it you, was, yeah, sanitation. Nutrition, I guess, got better for a while. No, uh, nutrition was... I feel what, like when we were kids, yeah, we had food was still basically... Food. <laughs> yeah, it was actually exactly. like minerals. But it was it. soon after that. That it's it just became more and more processed and fake yeah, and bad and, for and you. Chemicals and all yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, CDC has studied that issue and their and their verdict on it was that that is not true. And there's many other studies. There's another famous study called McKinley and McKinley that says that fewer than one percent of the decline in fatalities, mortalities from infectious disease can be attributed to all medical interventions, including surgeries, antibiotics, and, and vaccines. The real, you know, the real heroes of human health in this country were engineers. They weren't, you know, there wasn't the medical That's community. That's true, it's true of war too. More people usually die of, the dis in the yes. Civil War, more died of dysentery than the bullets. It was much more the pooping than the getting shot. I mean, that's just, yeah, yeah a disease, you know, what, 
What has killed them? I think them? it was two-thirds in the Civil War. Or something. <laughs> well, let's not argue about pooping in the war. Oh, I mean, but, two-thirds died from disease. Right, yeah. Well, some, it was some ridiculous number. But what has killed more people than anything? The mosquito. Mosquitoes are the all-time serial killer. Yeah, more it, than sharks. More than, well, of course, more than sharks, <laughs> but more than Hitler. You know, more than Stalin. You know, yeah. they're just mosquitoes. We're, yeah. We're, the Pentagon is spending their money wrong. They get you get more decon. <laughs> Summer is here, and as the sun shines brighter, your skin deserves the utmost attention. Skin care isn't just a thing for women, and our friends at Caldera Lab are here to ensure your skin is well prepared for the season ahead. With Caldera Lab incorporated into your skincare routine, taking care of your skin has never been simpler. Their products are clinically proven and help visibly reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, giving you confidence and an impeccable first impression this summer. Don't miss out on joining the skincare revolution trusted by countless men. Use our exclusive link at calderalab.com random to enjoy 20% off their best products. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Inside this bundle, you'll find the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The good is your go-to serum at night before bed. In every drop of this serum, there are 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. Want to know what that means? I have no clue, but that's a shitload of units. Take the leap to skin royalty with Caldera Lab. Get 20% off with our exclusive link at calderalab.com slash random. That's 20% off by going to calderalab.com slash random. Elevate your skincare game this summer with Caldera Lab. Do you like true crime? Check out the new season of Hot and Deadly, a true crime podcast from ID about murder and betrayal. These episodes feature direct audio from ID's all-American true crime shows, Swamp Murders, Highway to Hell, and Southern Fried Homicide. You'll hear from investigators and family members close to these cases and learn about some shocking stories, like how a bank president was found at the bottom of a swamp and what happened when a former prom teen went missing. You can also listen to all of season one now. It's a lot of true crime and all available to listen to today. Listen to Hot and Deadly wherever you get your podcasts. Well, listen, um, I want to take issue with the media here because... Uh, it incenses me how they write about you. This is the New York Times. And this is, again, this is not the op-ed page. Okay, if it was the op-ed page, I, I get it. In chat with Musk, Kennedy pushes right-wing ideas and misinformation. Right away, I'm pissed off because misinformation... Okay, who's, how about you're in the newspaper, just tell me what he said and I'll decide what's misinformation. This arrogance of, we know what the misinformation is about science. I read an article in the New York Times, so you know it must be true. Uh, that's where the doctor said, I can't remember, I think I remember it was Navarro, and she said, nothing in medicine is fixed or precise, unlike other sciences. I thought, ah, oh, that says it exactly how I feel. Nothing in medicine, it's not like other sciences. Um, like some others, I mean, okay, anyway, here's, so this is their, that's their headline. Already you're into misinformation. Um, so you're on with the increasingly rightward-leaning chief executive Elon Musk, so now we have him painted. Um, Do you consider Elon Musk right-wing? No. 
Yeah, I, I consider him I like get, an ultra I love liberal. Him. Uh, I, I consider him a genius. Well, that's obvious. But he's all, his heart's in the right place. But I think by his own admission, he's a little spectrumy, and he he does some cuckoo things that you just have to accept in him. And they seem fairly benign in the in the general, even though they are you know, head smacker. You're like, why did you say that? What, was that really necessary to, whatever. But uh, in general, I think if anybody's gonna figure out like how to save the planet kind of shit, we, we, should, be, we should like not piss off people like that. Okay, so Kennedy, who announced, is himself a leading vaccine skeptic and has promoted other conspiracy theories. See, I love this. They go right from, he's a vaccine skeptic and other. See, if you're a skeptic, and everything else is a conspiracy theory right along with it. Yet he has consistently hovered around 20%. Like, that also, the, the arrogance of, huh, what could what be going on in the minds of these morons who are, who are gathering to his candidacy? Okay, so um, they talk about Ukraine, the Mexican border. See, this is something I also agree with you with. He said pharmaceutical drugs were responsible for the rise of mass shootings in America. Um, yeah, I didn't not, actually say that. I'm sure you didn't. No. But the general I said it should be looked at. It should, and it's, uh, I, you know what, I don't even have to look at it. It is part uh, of the issue. Yeah, the gun but, issue is a number of things. Uh, if people could wrap their head around more than one thing at once, yes, it's about too many guns in the Second Amendment. It's also about violence in movies and TV shows and seeing every fucking... Uh, or how about, how about video games? And video games, yeah. but, but having a 12-year-old boy <laughs> see every issue solved by way of a gun. No, that has no effect on it. And yes, the kids are on fucking drugs. They're on Pro Prozac. Is that the main one that... But they're well, all the, on the sort ones, of these pharmaceutical... The one, you know, there, there's been lawsuits, like sort of the Columbine lawsuit, which was settled. There was five kids who sued um, because, uh, you know, the shooter was on SSRIs, and that is... SSRIs. Uh, those are serotonin, in, you know, inhibitors. I see. And that, and those, the serotonin inhibitors have black box warnings on them that says uh, suicidal and homicidal ideation. So it's not, you know, so it's an obvious culprit, and it's, by the and way... Thank you for putting it. It's an obvious culprit right. that is treated in this paper <laughs> as if it's an idea that we need to kill in the crib. Yeah. When it's not. It's no. Some, it's, okay. And there's a study out there that shows that 23% of, of mass shooters uh, were on, you know, SSRIs. Oh, you know, it doesn't, correlation doesn't prove causation. No. It's not proof, but it's something that we should be looking at. And of by the course. way, you know, we're the only country in the world that uses this much, you know, antidepressant SSRIs. And, and we've always had guns. I mean, when I was a kid, um, there, were, there were schools that I went to where we had shooting clubs. And the kids brought their rifles to school right. and practice. So yeah. kids always had access to guns. Right. And they weren't going into the shoes. There's no time in American history well, or human history look. that kids were going to shoot schools and shooting their classmates. It happened, you know, they, it really started happening coterminous with the introduction of, of these drugs, with yes. Prozac and the other drugs. And, 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 see, and then, you know, the countries like Switzerland have almost as many or comparable numbers of guns that we do. And the last mass shooting they've had was 21 years ago. We have one every like 21 hours. 
Oh, it's not. And then you also add in 2010, when, is that when everybody got a, a smartphone? Yeah. That is also, we've seen a thousand articles about how it's rewiring the brain. Yes. So you, all these things are responsible, but it's, oh. it's I guess the question for but you I mean, what NIH should be doing, because they're trying, they're supposed to, they're, they're, Portfolio is to protect human health. Is to actually do real studies on this okay, stuff, so, and they won't. They but won't Bobby, because they don't want to offend the big shots, the video this, game companies, the you know the the cell phone companies, telecommunication industry, or the pharmaceutical industry. So they instead have they they don't, and that that's why they won't study vaccines either. Vaccine safety or vaccine risk, because they do not want the answer. And you know that's why they won't study. Why? Look, let's say I'm wrong, and autism did not come. That you know the, the, that vaccines are not a factor in in this you know exponential growth in autism. Let's say I'm wrong about that. And all of the studies that I've cited, hundreds of studies that suggest that are wrong. Okay. Well, then what is it? Something happened. The you know, CDC's own data show we went from one in ten thousand people having autism. In my in my generation, in your generation, the one in every thirty-four in my kids' generation. So what happened? Okay, Something but that's... happened, and it could be. Look, it could be there. It, it EPA did a study. Congress said to EPA, "What year did the epidemic start?" EPA said it's a red line. It happened nineteen eighty-nine. That's when the autism epidemic started. So you have to look at a toxin that became ubiquitous around nineteen eighty-nine. And there are a number of things it could be. It could okay. be glyphosate. I, I am very sympathetic it could be, to this theory. It could be what? It could be but, cell phones. But why? Yes. It could be. Um, but why did why did why, naked toy? Okay, but this is what they're going to say to you, and I need to know the answer to this. Then why have they done many many studies, including ones that were not funded by the pharmaceutical industry, and including ones from other countries, that? All found out. They all, they all came to the conclusion: autism, no connection to vaccines at all. I agree with you. I am skeptical of this. I think they just I, don't want to. I can. I can. There's 14 studies. I can go through each one of them, and they were and they were all. They're epidemiological studies. So they're just they, lying when they say course, there's no studies. Of course. There, no, no. <laughs> yes. There's 14 studies, but on, on on the side that shows that autism is caused by vaccines, there's over 100 studies. I, in fact, did a book in which I listed all of those studies and digested them, in, 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 in other words, summarized them all, and you can go and source them. And I have over 450, uh, cita uh, 450 studies summarized, and I have 1,400 citations. Okay. The, the question for your campaign is... I'm not talking about this stuff on my campaign. I'm just talking between well, you and me. That's a ridiculous assumption. Of course you're going to have to talk about it. Well, if I'll... somebody asks me, I'm going to. They're all going to ask you. Are you serious? <laughs> no, they this don't want to This is all they're it. going to ask you about. The, you think they're there for your friends who want to help you? They're, no, they're they, don't go, want, they don't want to help They me. want to go to the most vulnerable point, which is you're a coup no, because you don't believe in vaccines. That's not me I, talking. I, no. I don't believe that, but that's what but they do will... But you believe I don't believe in vaccines? I, I believe you are more... Um, I just believe yeah. in science. I, I understand, but, but I, you know, any... Show Bob, me the science. Bobby, this I, is the, yeah, but let's not talk about, again, the science. That's the thing, that's the mistake they made. I believe in oh, science, too. Listen, listen, but, Bill, but just like the, I mean. the other I mean, side what, of it... Let, let, let me just say this. We have different... Every medicine 
is required to do placebo-controlled trials. That's what science is. You give, you, you give a, a group of people, a cohort of people, the, the medicine, and then you give the, a, cohort, a similarly situa situated cohort of people the placebo. And then you look at health outcomes over a, a four or five year period. Because many of the impact of the outcomes are going to have long diagnostic horizons and long incubation periods, so you won't see them immediately. You need to do it. Anthony Fauci has said eight years for a vaccine. You need to watch them for a while. Those studies have not, the only medicine that never gets tested are vaccines, and that is what I object to. It's yes. not. I'm not I, saying the you know that. Not only the only one effective, all I'm saying is let's test them the way that we test other medications. That well, does not seem no, unreasonable. That is not unreasonable. Well, that's my position. That's my well, position. Well, great. Because when the, what I was going to say is how do we translate this complex stuff that we're talking about? You're in a debate now, you have 90 seconds. And you have to say it in a way that like gets people on your side in, or yeah, it could, the could be 30. Is, I, don't, I don't object to vaccines, show me where I got it wrong. No, I'm just, okay, I'm just saying this has to be put into these sound bites that's gonna, that's a challenge, because this is a complex subject. And I'm- Who I'm, do you think I'm gonna debate? Well, if you're in the Democratic primary, you're gonna debate Joe Biden. You think Joe Biden will ever debate me? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would I mean, be, he should. I mean, he, but, I would I would give right. six weeks pay, which I just <laughs> lost because of the strike, uh, to, to see to see that. But uh, okay, but let me just uh, let me vent more because this just this fucking pisses me off. Okay, so um, he has used his campaign platform and his famous name to promote misinformation, and I and again, whose misinformation? Because I seem to remember uh, washing uh, the mail for three days for about six months before they said, oh, yeah, oh, we got that wrong. Which I'm not blaming, I'm not saying they're corrupt for getting that wrong. They, my overarching thing about medicine and vaccines and all of it is that people just don't see how much we're at the infancy of understanding how the human body works. Yeah. And they get so much wrong. Just last year, they got they announced they got metabolism wrong. Metabolism is a pretty basic thing. They also got depression wrong. It's not the serotonin. That was, it, they got the wrong culprit. Okay, these are some basic things. They really don't know that much. Doctors have a bad attitude, an arrogant attitude of like, we know so much more than we used to. Yeah, more than we used to. My liver doesn't care about that. The liver only cares about what you probably gonna know in a hundred years. We haven't cured cancer or Parkinson's or any, a million things. So don't sit there with the white lab coat and look at me like, just do what we say. When have we ever got anyone wrong? You got a lot wrong, including about COVID. They said the vaccine would not, I mean, you couldn't pass it or get it and they were wrong about both. In my personal history, I didn't have it for 14 months when we didn't have it. I didn't want to get it, but I knew I couldn't do my job if I didn't. So I didn't get COVID the whole 14 months and I was not trying to avoid it. Some people would say I was trying to get it. And then as soon as I got the vaccine, like a month later, I got COVID. I think they're connected because I think the human body is like that. Uh, it's very complicated. And when you get the vaccine, it, it 
by its design, it lowered my Im immune system. My immune system is doing fine on its own. That's my point. Uh, and well, then I got it, but because I, because I had the vaccine also might be the reason why when I got it, it wasn't severe at all. I barely knew I had it. Do you think that's possible? Uh, maybe. Here's what the, you know, the, the science says now, okay? The Cleveland Clinic did a study of 50, uh, I think 51,000 employees. And what they say is the vaccine works for about two months and then it, uh, it wanes precipitously. And it, it um, within seven months, it has waned into what is called negative efficacy. In other words, if you got the vaccine, you're much more likely to get sick. You're much more likely to get You're COVID. much more likely to get it. Get it. I don't know if you're much more likely to get too sick. It did, I, I think both much things can be true. It. You're 3.5 times more likely to get it, and the more vaccines you had, the more likely you are, to get, you are to get COVID. In other words, if you had multiple boosters, you're more likely yeah. to get sick. But the question you just asked, are you better off, you know, in terms of the kind of ultimate outcome, are you better off in avoiding death or, or serious, you know, hospitalization? And my belief about that is, you, is there is no advantage to the vaccine, although, you know, there are claims that there are, but the science... I, I, again, I don't, I don't think that's framed the right way. There's advantages for some and not others. Yeah. I just want the personal liberty to say, yes, if I was 90, I might go get the vaccine tomorrow. I don't know. My issue with this is that every individual is so different. What do you eat? Do you have a fungal infection that's not even diagnosed? Uh, how many x-rays have you had? What are your genetics? How many metals are in your body? There's a million things that could... Uh, do you have diabetes? Do you have vitamin D deficiencies? Everything. And, and how many vaccines? Yes, I would put that in the mix too. Have you had... All of this should be taken into account, or I would like to have the liberty to take that into account, decide, oh no, I think my immune system can handle this better, or, you know... I'm sure your vaccine is is it's on the level and it's good, but not for me right now. Just like I, you know, can you imagine forcing everybody to all take amoxicillin or something? I wouldn't put it past them. I don't want an antibiotic. I'm glad they exist. Like I'm glad vaccines exist in case I need them. I, I mean, if smallpox came back, wouldn't you get a vaccine for that? Probably would. But I've already had it. Smallpox? I've had the smallpox vaccine multiple, multiple times. Oh, the times. vaccine, right? Yeah, so had smallpox was eradicated, and so you're not a nut, okay, Mr. Kennedy. Six, oh, here's what you are: is a <laughs> is a longtime amplifier and propagator of baseless theories. You know, again, not the editorial page. This is like the regular newspaper. Um, he, he he is repeated to host. Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's the ones they fact-check. He, he said that after the Affordable Care Act of 2010, Democrats were earning more money from pharma than Republicans. And then they say an analysis by Stat News says the opposite. Who's right? My understanding is that Democrats, and this is what I said, Democrats prior to the Affordable Care Act, before, prior to the battle of the, of the Affordable Care Act were reluctant to take pharmaceutical money. And so Republicans were getting more money than them. And after the Affordable Care Act, or during that battle, 
it became permissible suddenly for Democrats to take pharmaceutical money because the because the pharmaceutical the, the Obama administration okay. made a deal with the pharmaceutical industry to support the bill. So today, I, I believe they're wrong. Today, I believe that Democrats are getting more money from pharma than Republicans, but which is what even I said. If not, even if that's not exactly the case, the spirit of the answer is correct. Yeah. That yes, and Obamacare. They, I remember that fight very well. Yeah. And the first thing they had to do was appease the pharmaceutical. Exactly. Market. And like they, that was number one. Job yeah. one to get it's the only way they could get it passed. Yes, and that is something I've always been a huge and critic of. And they made of. the deal with them that there would be no bargaining over drug prices. That was the deal. Okay. Okay. Um, what's my next? It, <laughs> what's my next? Now you know what? Big. Fuck them. <laughs> I just want to say I'm, I'm doing this for a reason. One because I think they deserve richly to be mocked for that for that attitude. I just do not like the attitude. And this gets back to what you said when you first sat down there. Like liberals are different than we were kids. These are not our grandfather's liberals. You know, I, I think liberals are still liberals, but whatever for whatever reason, woke became the word. I know it's not always blah blah blah, but that's the word people use now for left gone too far. And left just changed their attitude. In, very, in a lot of ways, they're the opposite of liberals. I mean, liberalism was about, let's have a colorblind society. That's not where they're at. They're at, let's notice race always, first and fundamentally, as the most important thing. That's not a good attitude. That's not, it's not even appropriate to today, I don't think. Uh -huh. And oh, it doesn't make things better. It's divisive. It's divisive. And um, it's, uh, I don't think it's consistent with, you know, the, the people I knew um, who, uh, you know, who were on the front lines during the civil rights movement, that that's not the outcome. Um, but also, I mean, the, the issue of censorship was completely, you know, uh, Liberals had such antipathy towards any kind of censorship. Right. There was no time in history where the people who oh. were censoring free speech were the good guys. They exactly. were always the bad guys. Well, you, now you're what? now you're doing my show for me because that's you know of course because of course I'm going to take that personally. Free speech. Yeah. You know I mean and it's so ironic that I yeah you're totally right and I know it firsthand. I used to get attacked much more and worried for my job much more from the right. I mean, I did lose politically incorrect because the right got mad at me. Well, I forgot for, what they, they got mad at you. Because I said the war that, one time, right? I, I, the Iraq war. Yeah, I've, you had, I've had so many scandals <laughs> as I was blowing the smoke behind the curtain. <laughs> no, I, I said, it was, I six, what it was. It was yeah. our first show back after 9-11. And Dinesh D'Souza, oh, yeah, the right. conservative guest, said they were not cowards, they were warriors. And I agreed with him. And somehow he got in a cab and skated on that and reemerged as a complete nut. But, um, but I said, yeah, the terrorists weren't cowards, you know. And of course, there, there was no oh, moral, yeah. moral dimension yeah. to that. I'm just saying they stuck with the mission, the suicide mission. Although they do have a theory that uh, on one of the planes, <laughs> like the, the other four guys didn't know it was a suicide mission. So like when the head guy who knew it, you know, of the, there was five on each plane, when he said, okay, um, uh, take off your clothes, because that's what you have to do before you die, they were like, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? take off our <laughs> I, I thought we were... Um, <laughs> Come on. I, I thought we were headed to Teterboro. Yeah. 
No. But um, I, I also got to say, and I'm kind of stealing my thunder from a friend of mine who you would know, but I'm not going to mention, who really said this, but I totally agree with it. Whether uh, you're right or wrong, I think you're mostly right about this issue, especially the vaccine issue, the guts and the integrity to take that stand and stick and buy your guns when media, you lose the New York Times, family, that to me is a pair of balls. I hope you use that in your Thank ad. You. <laughs> I hope you use that in your. Well, you read a blurb from my I can do another take, but I really think that was the winner. Um, yeah. So can I can I plug my? Uh, um, I'm not get, getting rid of you. I want to. Um, you're never leaving here. I just want to plug my tour dates. August 19th, I'll be at the Charlotte at the Evans Auditorium. August 20th, Columbia Township uh, <laughs> Auditorium. September 1st. Uh, Austin, I'll be uh, the ACL Live Theater live at the Moody. And uh, September 2nd, the Grand Prairie. I think that's Dallas, Texas Trust, Texas Trust CU Theater. <laughs> okay. Um, so can I do a plug? Yes. And, yeah. and Bobby, you're running for president <laughs> of the United States. I think we have a clip of... Uh, no, yes, I'm do Rob, a plug. Robert F. Kennedy to the podcast, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yes. podcast, and it's on all platforms. And uh, if you're inclined to give money to the campaign, Kennedy24.com, uh, please uh, contribute $5, $10, $20. Uh, we will use every penny effectively. Thank you. So um, what, do you, what do you see for like... like Sketch me the campaign in the next year. Your side of it, the Democratic side and the Republican side with Trump now. Uh, He's now got, I think, 11. How many people? I think there's 11 in that race. Oh, oh on the Republican side? Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, everybody's jumping They're in there. Double digits. Mike Pence, that's going to excite the base. <laughs> Mike's favorite food is water for the table. Uh, but so where do you, do you think, uh, so on the Democratic side, do you think anybody else will jump in like Gavin Newsom? I think uh, Gavin would like to jump in, but I don't think he'll do it as long as Biden's in. Right. And so I got to say about Joe Biden, he's fine. You know, Look, I said it a long time ago on my show. He's like non-dairy creamer. You know, he's nobody's first choice, but he gets the job done. You know, <laughs> so that's like a joke in my act. Okay, I stole for myself. But it's true. He's like McDonald's when you're overseas. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's comforting. <laughs> it's not the thing you really want to, but it, it does, it gets the job done. I think he's kind of snake bit. It's like he's actually accomplished more legislatively than I thought a Democrat could in this atmosphere like actually got bills passed about infrastructure and shit that matters that again don't make the things that make people pull the lever you know because they don't hear about it like that bridge that didn't fall <laughs> and kill you <laughs> a democrat built that you know that, that this this needs i think they do a bad job at that but okay so if it's just biden and you you think you well, can? It's Marianne Williamson, too. Okay, Marianne Williamson. I like I like Marianne Williamson, and she's not a nut either. 
Um, you know, pe people have such a low tolerance these days, part of what's wrong, especially on the left, but the right is no prize on this. Um, they, have, they have such a low tolerance for like, varying in your viewpoint, even by a little bit. You know, there's a lot of, well, I unfriend you. You know, if you, you voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, lots of people voted for Donald Trump. It doesn't make them bad people. That, I think, is a fundamental problem in our country. People think if you like Trump, or a lot of people don't like him, and they still vote for him because they think he's less crazy than the woke. That's, that, to me, is the essence of our politics. Trump can win because people think he, that madman, is less crazy than woke shit. And I get it. I totally get it. That's your freedom of speech thing. People don't like losing that. People don't like walking on eggshells, you know? So yeah, no, I'm against the cancel culture. I just, I think we should, we need to talk to each other. We, you know, we need to talk to people with whom we disagree. And we need yes. to be able to learn the skill of, of, of talking gently and respectfully to each other. Say what you mean, but don't say it mean. And you know, accepting don't. that people are different. They were yeah. raised different, they think different than you, they live in a different part of the country. Like, stop being in there, your little silos, right? Yeah. I mean, your problem actually is the reverse. You, a lot of your natural constituency now is actually in the Republican Party. Yeah, uh, our independents. Um, my biggest group, my biggest cohort is independents, and then I have a lot of Republicans. You know, I've always felt uh, comfortable talking. I mean, listen, I started my environmental career representing commercial fishermen and recreational fishermen and built uh, Waterkeeper Alliance, which was, you know, which organized uh, in those communities all over the country. A lot of the people that I was representing were former Marines um, who were, who started the Riverkeeper organization. And you know, a lot of them were Republicans. And, you know, my, I felt it was important to work on the front lines, getting people into the environmental movement who felt estranged from mainstream environmentalism. And I was the, for 30 years, I was the only environmentalist going on Fox News. I went on Hannity multiple times, you know, again, like weekly, I was going on Neil Cavuto, Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, because I think it's really important to talk with people with whom we disagree. Did you ever meet Roger Ailes? I don't remember, but I may have. I think he asked me to twirl once. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he had a bad. Got, he got he got canceled. But I spent when I was nineteen. I spent three months in a tent with him in Africa. Ooh, that sounds wrong. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you want to phrase it that? Probably day. was. Wait, three months in Africa in a tent with Roger Ailes? Yeah. Um, God damn! I wish the writers weren't on strike. <laughs> 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 this, this is gold. <laughs> So why? Tell me why? What? Why? He he had he had just finished the Nixon campaign, so he was the you know King. he was the yeah. communication and advertising director for Nixon, and then he had started the uh, I think the Merv Griffin show was one of his really uh, yeah uh, Mer, yeah he was, he started the Merv Griffin show. Did he know Merv was gay? Was Merv gay? 
Was Merv gay? <laughs> I was on that show a bunch of times. Well, I, I'm glad nothing happened. That, that was at a time when nobody was gay. Mer Merv, I love Merv. I, when I was a starting out comic in the 80s, you did, if you were lucky, you were and on the rise, you did the Merv Griffin show. Yeah. You know, of course, you had to do it after you did the Johnny Carson show. They were the king. But, you know, Merv was always so sweet, kind. They taped like three shows, I remember, 3.30, 4.30, and 5.30. And if it was 3.30, it was on Hollywood Boulevard. You'd get an audience of old ladies trying to do my 26-year-old hip material about the new Sony Walkman or whatever the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> and Merv would just be like, oh, funny stuff, that's great stuff. You know, he just turned out to be like a billionaire. Yeah. He did it really well. Anyway, so you're in a tent with Roger Ailes. Oh, Roger. He starts unzipping your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Roger had a, had a friend. He had, yeah, he had a friend who had started an insurance company in Kenya, life insurance, which oh. they, it was the first they had discovered there was no life insurance company in Africa or East Africa. And they thought this was, you know, a territory that they could open up and exploit. Wow. But as it turns out, there was no appetite for buying, uh, for spending your money after you were dead on people who were your relatives. <laughs> the, the concept was, like, why would I do that? <laughs> but why were you there? So that, so that person, the person who started that insurance company, had um, had then sh shut the insurance company because they couldn't sell any policies. But they had brought cash there, a lot of cash, in order to you know pay off policies. And when they tried to leave the country with the cash, the government told them, you can't do it. And so he had proposed to Roger, or Roger proposed to him, that the way to get it out was to spend it making a TV series and then sell the series abroad. So you could hire local people to do the series, and that's what he did. And he hired me Jesus. to do a TV series on African wildlife and culture. Because you had a reputation already as somebody who was knowledgeable. Yeah, the environment. Yeah. Yeah. And how did this experience change you and how it will affect the campaign and if you should win the presidency of the United States? This experience, of all the experiences you've had I'll in tell your you storied what it did. life. It, it got me, because, I, you know, I had, I continued to have this weird relationship with Roger for, throughout his career because this was before he started Fox News. Always in a tent? Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was a very funny guy. Roger Ailes? He really, yeah, I he was see like that. a comedian. You know who's funny? Ann Coulter. It's, a, it's an incredibly funny... I was in a green room with her one time, but I don't know her really. <laughs> but it makes sense you were in a green room with her, yeah. Um, no, I mean, again... Did you go on a date with her? Never. Everyone says that. It's insane. I believe I have never fucked a Republican. I, I, again, I would. <laughs> it's just that what you know. It's like you just you vibe with certain people. I honestly can't. I I know a couple. I tried, <laughs> but they're Republicans. They didn't do it. They're lost anyway. No. Um, well, yeah, Larry did that. That show about that. Larry. David. 
What show? What show? Well, it was on, an episode, it was an of, episode Curb? of Curb where it was he, he had kind of an arc over the season that when he married Cheryl and he did this in his real marriage, he 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 would he couldn't commit to the marriage because he felt that um he could not imagine going out his entire life without ever sleeping with another woman. So she agreed to a condition that after they were married, I think for 10 years, that he could have one night off. A whole pass. A, a whole pass. Wow. And so, yeah. <laughs> it, it, the, so the woman who was coming on to him at that point, she, you know, Cheryl says to him, you go ahead, because she doesn't believe he can get anybody to sleep with him. Exactly. And, uh, but there was a woman, he was shooting at that time for Mel Brooks, the producers. Mm. He was making the play. And the cast member who plays, you know, the secretary, the ditzy secretary, was a, a blonde German woman. And she was, uh, she had the hots for Larry. This is in the show. Really? Yeah. And so Good she agrees to, um, to this, you know, to... Uh, to this union, and and he, they, they go into their dressing room to consummate it, and he's getting his undressed, and he sees a picture that she has of Ronald Reagan on the wall, and it just it kills it for him. <laughs> <laughs> really, it always got me hard, but you know, he was such a prick. Um, God, when you think about where the Republican Party was under Reagan and how I don't think this show is going to help me in my campaign. I, I think it's going to help you a lot. <laughs> Honestly, you're making. I'm, I said this to you a half hour ago. You're making a bet. Lean into that bet. The bet is America's at a different place, and they are. Okay. They, they are. I'm telling you. They, what do you have to lose? As Trump used it, what do you have to lose? <laughs> I mean, you know. Look, everybody was very impressed when you came out at 20%. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed that. That's a very high, and obviously some of that is name recognition, but it's also tapping into something. Now, that's a raging river. Can you channel that the right way? And also, what are you going to do when you're, okay, so you're the nominee. Now you have to debate Trump with his yeah, I, I feel like I'm the only Democrat who can beat Trump in a debate. Yeah, that may be true. Yeah. Yeah, that may very well be true. I mean, one of the reasons for that is I can hold, uh, I can hold them responsible for the lockdowns. The lockdowns cost our country $16 trillion, and they shifted $4 trillion in wealth from the middle class to the super rich. We, the lockdowns, while he was president, created a billionaire day. And, you know, and bankrupted, uh, I mean, they, they, he shut down 3.3 yes. million businesses. Well, you're preaching to the converted on this one. All right. I don't think the, any of the other Democrats can no, talk about that issue. No. I mean. And I feel like I um, am, that, that my element is debating people. The, the, just the, again, I'm not on your level with knowing all the science, but just on the macro, just this idea we have in this country this, which was exacerbated by this, that we can avoid germs. It's not healthy. And you I'm can't- I'm not gonna talk about this in debate. And you- Are you recommending this? Oh, <laughs> no, but, but the, the <laughs> debates will become 
about medical issues. We've never then seen. Nobody it. wants to debate me about medical issues. But but okay, but they're going to because the, you don't have to be right to win. You just have to get the crowd to think you're right or to applaud or to want to believe what you. You're fighting against something very powerful, which is that people, when when it's their health, they're super scared. So what do people do when they're scared? They create this idea that there's this safe place. And what is the safe place? <laughs> Western medicine, doctors, he's a doctor, he's got a If someone has a white lab coat on, they think God is talking. That's the problem with the, the science people. You know, the ones who are wearing masks, walking alone outside, still. These morons. These, when they say, the science, yes, that's what I just, that's when you, you lose me completely. So anyway, yeah, you know, I'm I've just had, saying. I've had, um, uh, you know, I've, I've litigated hundreds of lawsuits. Almost all of those lawsuits involve some kind of con uh, scientific controversy. And every one of those lawsuits, there's experts on both sides. So when I sued Monsanto, right. I had experts from Yale, from Harvard and Stanford, and Monsanto had experts from Yale, Monsanto, uh, Yale Stanford, and um, and, and Harvard, and the jury believed our experts. Uh, you know, there, there's always experts on both sides of every. Right, and you can school. pay someone. And to you be, can pay somebody. They're called biostitutes. But you can, like, that's see these kind of things which seem a little boring and a little oh within the past. But these are the kind of things I think really need to be brought to the forefront of your campaign. You sued Monsanto. I think a lot of people are in the belief that I am that Monsanto kind of evil as far as my health goes. Like, I know you want to grow as many crops as you can and you want to kill all the bugs and you don't care what dies with the bugs, but I was never a big Monsanto fan. So this, as a voter, if my vote's up for grabs and I hear, oh, Bobby Kennedy, did you know he, he sued Monsanto? He's the guy who went after that company with the fucking Roundup and the well, whatever that shit is. That'd be like, yes. There's a guy who did something. Because uh, so much of this is just talk. I mean, what is Trump? It's just all talk. They don't, they don't approach it rationally. That he, he always has, comes on stage with that promises kept banner behind him. Like, what promise does this guy ever keep? They don't care. So, I forget what the lesson was there, but I'm telling you, I'm going to be your campaign manager before this is over. <laughs> or at least you're, my debate coach. You're not going to... Your voice is a lot better. I got to tell you, I haven't talked to you in a while. I don't know what you did or what you've been doing. I had surgery. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, there you, that settles that. Good. Uh, and I it to, worked. I went to Japan. So you, like I, believe that surgery, like antibiotics, like vaccines that we don't need, should be avoided, but we're glad they exist when you have to have them. I mean, if the surgery didn't exist, I'd be in trouble. Yeah. So, and again, Western medicine, you know what it does great? It's like when you're almost dead, it, it can stop that from happening. <laughs> like it's great <laughs> in the 24th hour, you know what I mean? It's preventive medicine. They don't even know about it. They don't care about it. It's all I. It's all I care about. Is Let me ask you something. Yes. Do you consider yourself health conscious? To the extreme. 
So, uh, um, yes, I said I pick up the <laughs> liquor in the pub. because I, <laughs> I challenge you to find someone more health conscious than me. Can I get a light? <laughs> so, what, what, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, what is in here, for example? That, <laughs> that is liquid pot, Bobby. Liquid <laughs> pot. That's what a pothead I am. Even when I'm drinking, I'm smoking pot. No, it's tequila. It's tequila. I just don't want to give any tequila particular brand a yeah. advertisement until they pay me for it. Yeah, that's we good are, After all, we are not communists. Okay. I mean, you're a capitalist, right? You believe in capitalism. Yeah, free markets. Thank you. That's like something that. a Democrat needs to say. Democrats are too suspect about, first of all, they have an image, especially among immigrants, of they're kind of down on their own country a little too much. Yes, we have a sorry past. It is the past. You can't do anything about it now. I mean, you can do things about it now, but it can't all be about the past. Um, and we're just, <laughs> just basically more... Uh, pessimistic and critical of ourselves than we are of almost any other country. We do have a lot of problems and had a lot of problems, but Democrats do not have a good reputation for being like, yeah, America, fuck yeah, <laughs> you know? I, that, you consider yourself a Democrat? No, I never said I was in either one. I was, was careful to say I do caucus with the Democrats. I, I was a, a liberal, an old school liberal, not a woke liberal. Um, but a Kennedy Democrat. A Kennedy Democrat and an Obama Democrat. When Trump was at I a... I remember you telling me that you're, you're half Jewish and yes. half Irish, right? Half Catholic, yes. Half. I was raised Catholic. And was your... My mayor is a... Is that a... That could be an Irish Listen, name. Listen, don't, don't get me on this subject because, oh, because I, I, I don't... <laughs> I loved my father and, you know, but like when, once they're gone, you know, he's been gone 30 years or something, you don't think about them a lot. Kennedys make me think about my father because my father was an Irish Catholic who, for him in 1960, you know, fought World War II, just like Joe Kennedy and so many others. So they had that bond and they won and they were feeling good. And now an Irish Catholic is running for the White House, and one we love is politics. And I mean, you're you know your family is charismatic. I mean that does count for a lot. So he was in his element, and he also loved Pope John, who was the Pope yeah. at the time. He was the liberal Pope. Yeah. When Pope Paul took over after him, my father got very disinterested in the Catholic Church to which I say fucking thank you, Jesus, because he finally quit it. And I didn't have to go to church anymore when I was 13. Until then, it was pulling teeth. But yes, the idea of an Irish Catholic, liberal, good-looking <laughs> president made, and my father had little kids at the time. So you have little kids, you won the war, your dude is the Pope. Was he, was he in the military? Yes, World War II, I'm telling you. He met my mother there. Well, they knew each other in high school briefly, but they, my mother was a nurse, and he was uh, Where? in Patton's army. They, I think they hooked up in, I don't know if they hooked up. <laughs> Too bad they're gone, I couldn't ask them, but they probably did. For, for fuck's sake, it was the war theater. You're gonna hook up, but they saw each other in, I think, France, and then 
I don't know. It was, you know, like 1945, it was the end, I think, but uh, the war was still going on. Very romantic way to start, you know. Yeah, and what did your dad do? He was in radio, radio news. So news was always in my family. It's probably why I went into this. He was kind of funny around the house and with his friends, and he was in news, and kids, you know. I mean, I always thought it was so interesting that there's 11 kids in your family, but you're the one who got the name Robert, and you're the one who most resembles him in, in both, like, physically, and what you say, I don't know if your father would agree with everything you say, but I think he'd be very proud of you. Well, thank you. I do think that because he was such a ballsy guy. I remember my father once illustrating to me, it's so interesting, we read that thing from the Times, he was telling me about, you know, media and like how there can never, I think they were saying something like Time Magazine isn't objective, and he was saying you can never be truly objective. And he said, if you love Bobby Kennedy, He's determined. If you hate him, he's ruthless. He used your father as the example, but I know he liked him. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was a that was a kind of a common assessment. And then your mom was Jewish from yeah where, from where? Yeah, but not like a. She never, I think, was in a temple. I've never been in what a temple. What was her last name? Her last name? Yeah. Berman. 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 Okay. Yeah. So it was like a German. Yeah, or Hungarian. Hungarian. Um, they moved to the suburbs of New Jersey in 1956, I think the year I was born, maybe the year before. And my mother walked across the street to say hello to the, new, the neighbor, Miss, Mrs. Schmidt. And Mrs. Schmidt said to my mother, um, we're so happy Jews didn't move here. Because she didn't know she was Jewish. His name was Mrs. Marr. He didn't look <laughs> Jewish. And my mother never spoke to her for the next 30 years, but they lived there. But it's a, that's where America was in 1955. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I remember when like, my uh, uncle. You thought ran. of a, I mean, a black person in that neighborhood would oh, be no. unthinkable. I remember when my uncle ran, you know, and we were, you know, they were calling us mackerel snatchers, which was, uh, you know, the pejorative for Catholics. Because <laughs> we ate they fish on the what? Mackerel snatchers. Mackerel snatchers. Yeah, because they, because we ate fish on Fridays. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so stupid. I, th I assume that's why, but uh, I, that, that was one of the pejoratives I, I heard. But they had, um, but my, when my uncle ran, there was, you know, there was tremendous anti-Catholic prejudice because they thought the Pope was coming to the White House and that he would be running things there. Mm. And that was, you know, the big issue in the campaign. That was the big issue. Yeah. Oh, yes, that you're, they thought John F. Kennedy was going to take orders from the Pope. Yeah, yeah and there was actually uh, my wife, Mary Richardson, who died, was an architect, and she um, she worked for a an architecture firm that uh, uh, the, the the head of the firm. There was a gay guy who ran the firm, and then a woman, a waspy woman named Sister Parrish. She had because a, a, a sister is a wasp name. Sometimes they use that. I gotta explain wasp well, because I've noticed. I'm sorry, through time, like that's something for only our generation. People don't know what it means <laughs> white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, which the which they were the people who that's ruled, right. People, they ruled the whole country. They ran the whole country. I mean, yeah. Anyway, this woman had had decorated when Jackie hired her to decorate the White House, 
and she she came from a very conservative um you know design firm in New York that was very sort of extremely high end and of course my aunt Jackie was very conscious of style but when it hit the newspaper that the woman who was decorating the White House was named Sister Parish. There was there was you know outrage coming from you know the Southern Baptists and people who said, oh, he has a nun who is now you know decorating the White House, who's desecrating the White House. <laughs> so <they> thought, <laughs> wow. So, can you actually imagine living in the White House? It must have so many like positive and negative memories. Yeah, I mean, my cousins were raised in the White House, and, you know, we went over there and played with them all the time. Um, so I'm, you know, familiar with the building. And, and you know, we, I went, I was, I was there often as a kid. My father was working just down the street in the Justice Department, and he'd often have us to lunch, and then and we'd go visit the White House. I went a couple of times to visit. I went once alone to visit my uncle, and I had when I was six years old. I wrote him a letter saying I wanted to meet with him about the environment, and he had me in, and I brought him a salamander, which I I actually had caught the salamander the night before, and it died uh, because we had just switched from well water to. Um, to a city water at our house. And the city water had chlorine in it, and the chlorine killed the salamander. So when I went and brought him to my uncle, he was already deceased. And my uncle was pushing him with a pen, saying, I, I don't think he looks well. I mean, not to make everything about the health issue, yeah, but, go ahead. but like what you just said about chlorine. Now, I probably went through the first <laughs> 40 years of my life never thinking about chlorine. I'm just guessing at that number, because learning is an evolution. I was always interested in health to some degree. When I was poor, I couldn't afford to be eat healthy. But, you know, I got it at a certain point. I still did a lot of pot and stuff and drugs. <laughs> okay, but like I, I way cut down on drinking because that's the worst one, right? I mean, of all the things, what? I mean, I cut down, I didn't say give up. I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> And now I forgot what I was going to say. You were talking about chlorine. Oh, chlorine, yes. Okay, yeah. so there's like one of those things that I know when I talk to people about health issues, a lot of the stuff that we think is absolutely common knowledge is not common knowledge. People don't know antibiotics have bad effects also. They, they don't know really basic things because, of course, the medical establishment, it's not in their interest. I mean, you've seen all those pharmaceutical ads where, like, they quickly give off the side effects of a drug. And the, but, you know, Prozempkin will make you feel great. <laughs> but after they tell you, it'll, they list, like, 20 things. You know, it'll make your gallbladder fall but out of your have, ass. There's always people having Blinded. fun. <laughs> yeah. um, people just want the happy story. But something like chlorine, which is, like, such a basic daily part of our lives, could be having a big effect on our health. Again, this is like a true, really important concept that the New York Times is gonna make fun of, but that if there is a way for you to like make that seeable to America, I think it's very powerful. Yeah, well, Chlorine, you're definitely the one guy to do it. If you're drinking from a 
a, a water supply that has a lot of algae in it, chlorine can be very dangerous because it produces the interaction between a, a chlorine and a, an organic material produces a family of chemicals called trihalomethanes, uh, which are carcinogenic, they're tertogenic, they're mutagenic. So they, you know, people are aware that it could be bad, but you're right. Um, when we banned le leaded gasoline in this country, IQs went up by about two points. Yes. So, you know, you can you can do things to people that could take 10 IQ points off you right. and nobody would notice it. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about Donald Trump. <laughs> so what do you think about them indicting him for the for the purloined um, classified I, files? It's it's I mean, I thought the New York case was a terrible case. Me too. And, and they should never have bought that case. And it's, I said that to Cheryl. We had a little bit of a, a row about that. She really is, doesn't like Donald Trump. Oh, but, chicks, huh? Yeah, so <laughs> I... And I said, I said, it's not about whether you like them or not. It's not a good case because it's a very inventive kind of far-fetched case that, you know, it looks political because it, 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 there's no reason really that you would bring that case other than if you wanted to get the guy. And it's a sex scandal, and people never see past sex in a sex scandal. Uh, I, I'm not sure that was a sex scandal. There was part of it, I guess, that was. Well, yeah, he was fucking yeah. a porn star. How yeah. come we can't get more and more sex in a sex scandal than You're that? You're right. And, and so <laughs> it was. It looked political. And, you know, I was a prosecutor. And prosecutors are supposed to be careful in bringing cases against uh, that may look political or may right. the optics are political. Right. You want to avoid the fact that the United States of America that politicians are weaponizing the judicial system to hurt their opponents. Right. It's a, it's a bad thing in democracy, and, and, uh, and prosecutors have to walk this line. You, you want to make sure that everybody knows that no matter how powerful you are, you have to obey the law. Nobody's above the law, but right. at the same time, yes. you have this countervailing pressure to avoid um, uh, political weaponizing and set precedents yeah. that can't be undone. Of course, because then your opponents the next time are going to do the same and thing. And of course, and the, it, the per it's the an escalating, you know, it, it's, a, it's an arms race after that. The one person in the world who, this is a tough dilemma to begin with, but the one person in the world who makes this dilemma even worse, of course, is Donald Trump. Yeah. Because everything he does, <laughs> both the impeachment trials, completely justified by the letter of the law and the spirit also. The Stormy Daniels thing is completely justified by the letter of the law. I mean, if you want to talk about the campaign to, to pay yeah. somebody. And now this one about the files. What was in these files is... Here's my question, as someone who knows government in and out. How come, like, okay, there's plans, they said, that we're <laughs> in the thing to, like, how, how we were going to attack Iran? Yeah. Why is that in a box? <laughs> like, really? We're, we keep that in the fucking box with Shaq shoe and, like... I mean, I'll tell you that... The the, the political issue here is also, I think, you know, very troubling because 
I think Pence also had, you know, had classified data and Biden had it. And so the, the people are going to be saying, well, why aren't they going after Biden? But And I, I don't know what Biden had or anything like that. And but, of course, but Trump did it 10 times worse in every yeah. way because he's Trump. Yeah. But, but so anyway, I think it is, you know, there there's parts of it that make me nervous. The thing is that I think it is in this case whether it was justified to bring the case or not, that it's a really serious problem for him. And the reason for that is I don't even remember seeing, at least in you know the last decade, an important case like this where a judge um, allowed the penetration of the attorney-client privilege you know, normally anything you say to your attorney is privileged and no court can force you to disgorge that. Right. And it can't be used against you in any way. It's to protect this relationship with attorneys where, you know, you want the client to tell the attorney everything so that they can give you good advice. He's your advocate. He's an extension of yourself. And you cannot compel him. Nobody can compel him to tell what those conversations were. If you... If you could do that, there are many, many Americans who'd be in deep trouble because people tell things to their attorneys that, you know, they confide things in them about laws they broke. And the, the exception for that is if the attorney was colluding with you to violate the law. I mean, if you tell an attorney, help me violate this law, it's a, you know, it's a conspiracy. And in that case, the judge will order all of the, he will order the penetration of the, of the uh, attorney-client privilege. And in that case, all of your conversations become discoverable. Mm. Oh, it's not just the conversation where you were talking about violating that particular law that they found out about, but every conversation you had with them is now discoverable. And when that happens, uh, you know, I mean, the stuff that I've seen is going to be hard for anybody to explain. Yeah, uh, it's going to be hard for President Trump to explain. I think he—he's. Uh, they're probably they're so, probably happy they're in Palm Beach trying this because he is popular so, down okay. there. But take me down the road. He. So I agree. When I read just some of the statements from his longtime supporters, like Bill Barr, who say, "Oh, well, they got him dead to rights." I mean, okay, so. <laughs> Say they try him, say he gets convicted because, you know, the judges can surprise you. I know the judge is supposedly the wrong judge for this case, but the Supreme Court just made a ruling on the, the Voting Rights Act that surprised everybody. That was what liberals would call the right decision, and I thought it was the right decision. So who knows? Okay, so say they convict him. He, he's in jail as he's running for president? He it's, could, it's possible. It, it does not. It does not um, uh, it, preclude it, him. Preclude him from holding the light up because there's only, I think, three you know uh, that qualifications would, for. You know the, that would work for him. Yeah. Well, it, 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 you know, the guy who ran against my uncle, um, or ran against my great grandfather. Um, uh, James Curley, who is the mayor of Boston, my great grandfather Honey oh, yeah. Fitz was the mayor of Boston. Right. And he was elected uh, to Congress while he was in prison. And so, you right. know, and, and, and there are many, Huey Long, I think, had... Well, also Long. jail is the greatest 
um, a creditor of what a serious person you are. I mean, when you think about the people who have spent time in jail, like Nelson Mandela, and uh, <laughs> well, you know what I mean, and, I and Menachem I... Begin, and no, really, I mean, like, if you spend time in jail for your cause, which I have done, which you have done, what? Yeah. Besides the tent with Roger Ray. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in jail for the summer of 2001. I was in maximum. 2001? Yeah, 2001, I was in maximum security prison in a for federal. What? What'd you do? Max uh, for, in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico? Yeah. You were but in jail? It was jailing? a federal, U.S. federal prison in Puerto Rico. Was it better or worse than the Ailes thing? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What'd you do? I was suing the Navy for bombing the island of Vieques, which had caused all kinds of environmental sure, problems I know that story. and human health problems. Yes. And I got a crooked judge who, I, who you know, the Federal Court of Appeals gave me the injunction, declared he had to give me the injunction, and he would not enjoy the, enjoy the bombing. And so the mayor, I was representing the mayor and 10,000 people on the island, and the mayor asked me to do his civil disobedience. And I said, um, I, I, you know, the attorneys are supposed to be officers of the court, so you really, you're not really supposed to violate the law under, under most circumstances. Um, but I said to him, uh, how long will I, will I go to, you know, will they put me in jail? And he said, probably just a few hours. And then, you know, when I did it, um, I got, I ended up in jail for, for 30 days. And I was in with Eddie Olmos, you know, Edward James Olmos. Of course. He came with me. Uh, the actor. Uh, he had a really interesting thing happen to him. What did he, he do? Jail. He was with me when we got arrested. Oh, my God. A month? And then Dennis Rivera. Jesus. Who was the head of uh, the biggest labor in, in the United States, SEIU, and who had gotten me involved in this case. He also was in prison. But there were 140 men on our, you know, on our cell block and most of them about half of them were political prisoners when i got there about 60 and the rest of them were you know murderers gang gangsters you know everything but it was really it was interesting we had um uh, i for me it was actually like a vacation because i was i didn't have a cell phone and and i didn't have to make any decisions you know, I could only use the phone for 10 minutes a but day. But it was prison? And it was prison, and I got, I, I played yeah, basketball I would, I, every I day. I could never see prison as a vacation, I got to tell you. You're a badass. You are. People should know that. Like, <laughs> that's like a big selling point when you're running for prison. I mean, Trump, <laughs> I don't think it's Trump in his way. I'm counting that nobody is actually watching this program. Oh, there are a lot of people going to watch this. How many people do you think watch this thing? Oh, we know how people, millions. Come on. No, uh, Podcasting. You could lose me the election with this. No, last this will get a million views easily. And and is it your opinion that people who are watching this are more likely? Not at the moment, but when we were. <laughs> not right. It's not live. There's a writer's strike. We couldn't possibly no. Um, no people. Anyway, we, I'll tell you something. Do you, can I, you want me to tell you a story, a good story? That oh, I'm so glad you reminded. Yes, tell me a story, and then I you. That, I want to uh, show you this. Well, you want to show me that? I was going to tell you what happened. No, I want to hear your story. So when we we got arrested, we were um, 
we were on a boat and we, uh, and we ran the blockade. We had fishermen on the boat who had masks on, they had baklavas on because they had all been arrested. And every time you get arrested, you get more time. And the numbers were painted out on the boat. And uh, we were pursued by two, uh, there was two boats. One of them were filled with uh, people from the band Menudo. Menudo. Remember Menudo? Of course. And, but they got, they got turned back by the, co by the Coast Guard. Menudo. <laughs> wow. And the people who came to my trial, you know, Jesse Jackson came to my trial, um, Nancy Pelosi did, Benicio Del Toro, and he came to visit me in jail with his dad. The trial was in San Juan? Yeah. Wow. Jesus Christ. And, um, yeah. I mean, that's... Uh... And then after you got out of prison, you wrote the band on the Run album. <laughs> so listen, this is the thing I was given by Israel. <laughs> no, not Israel, but like, I don't know. It was when Israel was 70. I've, the, the ambassador used to do our show. Very, I loved him. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's all the people who were good to Israel, you know, Reinhold Niebuhr and this dude, <laughs> Harry S. Truman. And, yeah, and my dad's in there. And... Your dad's in here. Yeah. Okay, this is what I want to ask you about because I've heard you talk about this recently and we don't... On May 26, 1968, your father made a statement that we must defend Israel against aggression from wherever source. Our obligations to Israel, unlike our obligation towards other countries, are clear and imperative. The U.S. should without delay sell Israel 50 Phantom Jets. Okay, a day later, Kennedy's strong plea for the defense of Israel appeared in the pa Pasadena Independent. The article enraged a Palestinian named Sirhan Sirhan. He wrote in his diary, Robert F. Kennedy must be assassinated before June 5th, which was the first, the first anniversary of the 67 Six-Day War in Israel. The Pasadena Independent was in his pocket when he committed the act. He was killed because of his support for Israel, says Kathleen Kennedy Townsend. That's not the case? That's not the truth? Well, you know, he was, uh, Sir Han was involved in the murder of my father, but he did not fire the shots that killed my father. Oh, and but that. Didn't he want to, but according to this, is that wrong that he read this story, was enraged as a Palestinian? I mean, it's the idea that the article was in his pocket when he committed the act, is that wrong? That could be right. You know, and I don't speculate as to what happened. All I say is that Sir Han himself could not have killed my father. And that's what Thomas Noguchi, who is the coroner, I, you know, and by the way, my entire life, I believe that my uncle was killed by, not by, you know, by a conspiracy, by a group of people. And I, and I had doubts about that from when I was little, because when I was, my, the day that we, my uncle was, we were waking my uncle in the East Room of the White House, and I was standing in the foyer of the White House with my Aunt Jackie and with um, my dad and my mother. And John, Lyndon Johnson came in and told us that Jack Ruby had killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Leah, for the people who are young people, Lee Harvey Oswald was the, the person who was charged with killing, arrested for killing my uncle. 
and a day later, he was killed in the jailhouse by a, a guy, you know, who came in. A nightclub in. owner. What? A nightclub owner. A nightclub owner named, who, named had, Jack who was, you know, deeply involved with, with the mob. Not the worst nightclub owner I ever worked for, but yeah, <laughs> an asshole nonetheless. Anyway, and and I had said to my, you know, my, my dad and my mother at that time, why did he do it? Did he love our family? Because even as a little kid, it didn't make any sense to me. Why would you go do that in public when, you, you know, you, when you're putting your own life at stake? And uh, so that story never made any sense. And then, you know, when I was older, I researched it. Somebody gave me a book called The Unspeakable. And I read it and the whole story that made sense. But I still believe... And my father had been killed by Sirhan. Sirhan Sirhan confessed to the murder. Um, he pled guilty, and uh, you know he's, his story is that he has no memory of it, and and he's stuck with that story for sixty years. So, um, but Paul, the man who was there was a man standing. One of my father's best friends was standing beside him when my father was shot. And his name is Paul Schrade. He was the deputy director of the United Auto Workers, and he's the guy who recruited Cesar Chavez to the labor movement, to the United Farm Workers, and then introduced my father to Cesar Chavez, which was one of the most important relationships that my father had. And the first shot that Sir Ann fired hit Paul in the head. Paul survived, and he just died uh, less than a year ago. And he spent the last 20 years of his life trying to get Sirhan out of jail because he did not believe that Sirhan killed my father. And I just sort of dismissed what over years I'd hear that he was, that Al Lowenstein, who you may remember, was trying to get my father, Sirhan out because Al Lowenstein, who was a congressman, a great friend of my father, started the Dump Johnson movement. He was later assassinated himself. He became a congressman and was killed. Um, but he fought for many years to get Sirhan out because, and get it, the, the the case reopened because he did not believe that my father was killed by Sirhan. But I never looked into any details. I just assumed there, there were 77 eyewitnesses. Sirhan killed Robert Kennedy. Right. And then Paul Schrade made me come over to his house one day and read the autopsy report. How did he make me? He told me, you have to do this. And because... He was such a close friend of my father's, and because he himself had been shot, you know, um, I felt like I couldn't say no to him. And when I sat down and read the autopsy report, it became clear to me, as it would to anybody who read that report, that Sirhan could not have killed my father, which is what Thomas Noguchi, the coroner, the most important coroner probably in American history, concluded also and said in his autobiography. And here's, the, here's what happened the short story. Sirhan fired two shots at my father. He was five feet away. There was, as I said, many, many, there was absolute mayhem in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. My father just won the primary. He said from the stage, and now it's on to Chicago, which was where the convention was. Then he walks off the stage and he went into a route that was not expected. He was led into a route through the kitchen, which he was not supposed to go to. And waiting in the kitchen, in an ambush was Sirhan Sirhan uh, standing in front of a steam table. And as my father approached the steam table, Sirhan fired at him two shots. One of those hit Paul Schrade. 
The other one went past my father's ear and hit a door jam behind my father, a wooden door jam, from which it was later removed by the LAPD. Hmm. Sir Ann was then grabbed by six men in a dog pile, and he was backed onto the steam table, and his hand, Rayford Johnson, who was a great friend of mine, one of my father's close friends, he was a, uh, the decathlon yeah. gold medal winner in 1960. Yeah. He was one of the people who grabbed it, and he was the one who actually grabbed his hand, and he said, that Sir Ann, who's a tiny little man, I, you know, I've been to meet him and visit him in prison. He said, the tiniest, tiniest little guy. And, but uh, Rafer said he had superhuman strength and he could not get that gun out of his hand. And Sir Ann now was pointing the gun away from my father and fired six more shots. So there's eight shots in the barrel. He fired six in the other direction, the opposite direction from where my father was. All of those shots hit people. So we know who they hit. We know what happened to all of those bullets. One, one person got shot twice, you know, once through his clothes, once through his clothing. And my even... father was shot four times from behind. And so it's the same scenario as Oswald. Well, let me just finish. A patsy and a real shooter. Right, so he was a distractor. Um, and the real shooter was behind my father, who was a man called Eugene Thane Cesar, who was a security guard who worked for Lockheed. He was a CIA operative. He was a vocal, vocal racist who hated the Kennedys. And he had been the one who led my father through the kitchen toward the ambush. He was holding my father's arm. He drew his gun. Right. And my father was shot four times from behind. One of the shots passed through the shoulder pad of his, uh, harmlessly through the shoulder pad of his, um, of his, his coat. The other two were into his back and then one behind his ear, which was the fatal shot. And all of the shots had an uphill trajectory. So, and all of them, and this is what the autopsy found, were contact shots. So the barrel of the gun was touching my father's body or his clothing and they left carbon, the, the discharge left carbon tattoos were less than an inch from his skin. So they, they left carbon tattoos on his flesh. And the autopsy was an exquisite autopsy. It's called the perfect autopsy. Thomas Noguchi, who knew what had happened to President Kennedy's autopsy, which was, you know, loaded with scandal, did not want the same thing to happen in LA. And he said, we're not gonna do Dallas again. So he flew in the top corners from all of the armed services, the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, to observe what he was doing. And his autopsy is called the perfect autopsy in the medical literature. And, uh, you know, he concluded that the shots had come from behind. And there were 77 eyewitnesses who saw that Sirhan was never behind my father. He was always in front of him, always about five feet away, and all the shots that killed him. Now, it seems so open. He fell, and as my father fell, he, he, he must have known he was being shot from behind because he turned around and grabbed off Cesar's clip-on tie. And you can see pictures of him lying on the floor, and he's actually lying on top of Cesar with the clip-on tie in his hand. And there's pictures of Cesar without his tie on. 
Hazer pushed my father off him and stood up. He was knocked down. When my father fell onto him, he stood up and was seen with his gun. The police did not confiscate the gun that night, and they asked him why, what he was doing, and he said he drew, drew the gun to shoot at Sir Ann. And, uh, you know, and then that, that's the beginning of the story. And then Cesar made a series of changing, deceptive, lying statements after that in the different times he was uh, questioned over many, many years. I cannot tell you what happened. I, you know, I, I can speculate about it, but I can tell you that I cannot see any way and that anybody can read that autopsy report and believe that Sir Ann killed my father. And that's, you know, my point is that it ought to be investigated. There was no trial. It was a show trial. So, um, a, a, an attorney uh, whose name was a Grant, um, I forget what his last name, he appeared, nobody knows how, and became Sir Ann's attorney. Who was he? He was the attorney for Johnny Roselli, the mobster who was implicated in John Kennedy's assassination in Dallas five years earlier and was later chopped up and put in a barrel when the assassination committee summonsed him to, to testify, when the church committee summonsed him in Biscayne Bay, Miami. He was, his body was found in Miami. He disappeared the day he was supposed to testify in front of the church committee on the assassinations. And um, and the and he was involved at that time in the Friars Club scandal. So the Fry, you know what the Friars Club scandal is? No. The Fry, you know what the Friars Club? I is. I certainly do that. Right. Okay. And you've probably been there and and oh, yes. rose and stuff. Yes. So that uh, that that uh, was um, uh, run by Roselli was one of the people who was running it, and the other, the Mickey Cohen, the the, the L.A. mobster. Yeah. And they had a, they were doing card games there. So they had poker games. It was a place where the famous people, sure. you know. Yeah, it's a club. Comedians were to play, play Yeah, it's a club. And they had installed cameras in the ceiling so they could read everybody's hands. Oh. And, that, and they got busted for it. And, the, and that trial was going on when my father was killed. And the attorney for Roselli at that time was the, the guy who weirdly showed up, nobody can explain why, and became Sir Ant's attorney. And he was under federal investigation because somehow Roselli had been able to obtain a grand jury testimony, which is utterly, that's a jailhouse sentence. You cannot, you, that is like stealing the U.S. mail. If you steal grand jury testimony, it's such a serious crime that you're gonna go to jail. The lawyer got blamed for it. So he was on, himself was under federal investigation and was about to get disbarred. And he then re ended up representing Sirhan. He was involved in concealing evidence. He was the one who told Sirhan to plead guilty. Um, and he, he blocked the ballistics evidence, of the, gun, the, the bullets that killed my father were different than the bullets, which came from a different gun than the bullets that killed other people or shot other people. Nobody else died. So, oh, anyway, there's, you know, there's a lot of questions that should be answered. And if you look at the evidence, it doesn't make any sense. And, no, then, I, they, I, and then the 
I mean, uh, the, the <clears throat> LAPD. I will uh, never trust anyway. the guy in a bow tie again. It I wasn't mean, a bow I mean, tie. A clip on. It was a bow tie. <laughs> but um, so it, it just must be so frustrating that this seems like so clear cut, but like the whole world thinks the reverse. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a conspiracy be a, a, theory. Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. <laughs> but it's not. I, I mean, you convince me. Anyway, I, uh, I'm going to let you go. I hope this does well for your campaign. I really think you in the mix is a great thing. Because certainly somebody's got to keep them honest. And the one thing I can count on you, like, will we ever agree eye-to-eye on everything? No. Who do you agree eye-to-eye with? It? Nobody. And you shouldn't. We're humans. But, you know, somebody has to keep them honest. And the one thing I think I can count on you is you're not a guy who's going to shake the etcher sketch. Remember Mitt Romney? Shake the, like, you're not going to attack, I don't think. Or maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe, you know, when the, when, if you get close, it's going to be very tempting to, you know, go more to the center and, and disavow. Nothing in your past tells me you'll do that. You are a guy, you love me or hate me, Disown me, I am sticking to what I know, or what I believe I know. That I think I can count on. That's gonna, I think that's gonna count a lot. Counts a lot with me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, good luck. You need help getting out of that. (laughs) (laughs) I need help in general. I need help in general. Wow, you're such a teetotaler and I look like such a drummer.